Hello, I'm Mallory Rubin. And I'm Van Lathan. Check out the Ringerverse podcast from The Ringer for all things superhero movies, nerd culture, and fandom entertainment. We have instant reviews and fun takes on all the latest news and more available now on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. Cold open question of the week, Kaz. Dave. What is the big deal about hour-long Iron Man matches? We do this every week on the show. <laughs> yeah, we're kind of we're kind of pros at this whole working for an hour thing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the big easy. deal about it. Everyone's like, oh, whatever, whatever. Let's let's start the damn show. <laughs> okay, let's do it. What's going on, Jabronis? It's Pitch Mr. Perfect, Skylar Aston. Hey, this is Bruce Pritchard. This is Roast Battle Season 1 champion Mike Lawrence. Husky Steve Kazee. This is Trey Kirby. This is your girl, WWE superstar, the legit boss, Sasha Banks. Hi, this is Lillian Garcia. My name's Kevin Owens. I have Shinsuke Nakamura. I'm AJ Styles, the phenomenal one, if you will, and you're listening to the And you're listening you're to You're listening to You're listening to And you're listening to You are listening to You are listening to The Masked Man Show. The Masked Man Show. The Masked Man Show. The Masked Man Show. Welcome to The Masked Man Show with Kaz. How you doing, buddy? Doing really good, Dave. How are you doing, bro? I am doing good. We have a very special guest today who's already sitting here with us. Um, I'm going to bring him on in. The one yes. and only Phil Schneider, who you might know from a bunch of different ways. Uh, co-founder of Death Valley Driver. Um, uh, he has a podcast and a book by the same name, The Way of the Blade. Uh, he was also, as he was just telling us before he uh, came on the air, um, an old school tape trader and uh, and and VHS wrestling DJ uh, of a certain vintage. But um, I was no, no, no. Put some respect on his name. He said he's the DJ Clue of wrestling mixtapes. Okay, <laughs> yes, <laughs> which I thought was the best description of anything I've heard in a long time. <laughs> I, I didn't awesome. throw loud. Uh, loud DJ signature th uh, things over the mattress. So it's like you didn't, when you were watching Kawada Masao, it was like, Phil Schneider production! It would have been so much better if you had done that. That's such a good idea. I just came up with it now, and I, I wish I could yeah. tell See, something. there you go. If we, had, if we had met years ago, if we had met years ago, I'd be like, you know what you need to do? You need to just have a signature tag like like Metro Boomin or something. <laughs> or some mixtape legend like Funk Flex. Drop a bomb on it. 
Phil is here today, well, specifically because he just wrote a cool big article for The Ringer uh, with uh, where he listed his 11 favorite, 11 most pivotal, 11 not quite best, but we'll call it best matches in Ring of Honor history as we bid potentially farewell to the esteemed indie, super indie. Uh, he's also, I mentioned his book, The Way of the Blade. I can't recommend it to you highly enough. I was on his podcast a couple of weeks ago, but the, the the Way of the Blade is just a, it's a, it's a, hell of a book it's a fun book it just it lists the like all of the, the bloodiest matches in wrestling history and breaks them down like move by move spot by spot in the most entertaining way possible and it's beautifully and gruesomely illustrated so uh i i, I can't recommend it highly enough it's so good anyway um we're gonna talk ring of honor we're gonna talk aew we got a little bit of news to hit on up top um news just broke yesterday courtesy sean rossap uh and expounded upon by Dave Meltzer, that Kevin Owens has re-signed with WWE reportedly for something in the 2 to $3 million range. I got to tell you, it makes me very happy. It seems like I'm totally at peace with the sort of P, like, like PWG era of WWE not, reach, not, not panning out for them, you know, and, and for the wrestlers and for AEW kind of taking that space. But man, if Kevin Owens and to, and to a pretty close extent, Sami Zayn weren't just like the perfect people to just the perfect WWE, the, the perfect indie people to have like found a home in WWE. I don't know who is. And I'm just excited to see that we're going to see more and more of that. What, what do you think, Kaz? I think uh, I love it for one reason. The most is that we don't have to do another. Will he won't they this year? Right. Like after day one, like we can all go into day one with like a fresh coat of paint and just be like, okay, we can just enjoy it and just see what's going to happen without the whole, all right, his contract is up after this match or where is he going to go or all this other stuff. Um, you mentioned it earlier. Uh, I'm really happy that not all of the indie darlings in WWE are being like outcast, right? Like it kind of felt like that for a while, like for the past I don't know, maybe like five months. It really felt like all the guys. And, and, I, and that's why I'm glad Phil's here because one of the first uh, non-wrestling shows I ever went to was a Ring of Honor show. And it had Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, the Young Bucks, Adam Cole, like all these guys that I love now and are either going to AEW or are in AEW now. And as, as cool as that is and as great as it is to see them all in a promotion where they can kind of, you know, cook and do what they're really good at. It was a little disheartening to kind of see all the guys that kind of made that space for themselves in WWE start to migrate away. And I was kind of hoping that it wouldn't just turn into like a homogenized version of what a wrestler is, right? Like, I'm kind of glad that Kevin Owens, exactly the way he is, is being, you know... Uh, treated like a priority and treated like somebody who is uh, important to the, to the building of that company. So I'm happy about it. I know a lot of folks uh, may have really wanted a Mount Rushmore reunion and I can't say I'm not one of them who would have been really intrigued by that. But I think as a whole and just sort of for the health of both wrestling brands, I'm glad that Owens uh, is staying with WWE. I, I totally agree, man. I mean, I just think it's, I think he's, I, I think that there's there's a Mount Rushmore reunion part of it that's really intriguing, but like, listen, far be it for me to question anything that goes on in the walls of AEW because they've proven to be right about the choices they make time and time again. But but this is but the choice. It seems like the choice they made was that 
it's it, you can read between the lines in these reports and the choice seems to be Tony Khan wasn't in the bidding for two million dollars. You know, he wasn't interested yeah. to that degree, you know, which it seems like this is I mean, that that's a decision on I mean, that's a, that's as deliberate decision as anything else. But and it's also timing, too. Uh, there, it is. A lot it of is. And, and, I, and I think that there's a limit to how many of these like let's reference the indie scene stories you can tell at once. I think Khan's probably aware of that, you know, and, and, and I think with while Kevin Owens has like an undeniable value, uh, I think that, that I think that actually he like people always talk about it, you know, the the roster getting too stuffed over there. I think they would have happily had taken him there. But he might oh, be the sure. he but he might be the first piece of evidence that the roster's actually kind of near capacity. Not that they wouldn't have signed like they would eagerly sign twenty four year old Kevin Owens out of Manitoba oh, or sure. wherever the hell. But the top of the card is what's really so stacked, my, uh, you know, and the amount of yeah. money you're gonna spend just kind of like having replaceable cogs at the top of the card that's that that's a really interesting question anyway phil what do you think i, I agree with you i think in uh, a part of it is also i mean owens i think is somebody whose health is he's had some injuries and i think there's something to be said for a guy who's just saying look let me take the big contract and i can be happy in a place that i'm familiar with and there's you know some real value to, you know he's got kids and you know we, we all are kids and and we understand that sometimes you just say all right this is the right thing for my family to do. And I agree with you kind of, I think AEW is kind of an interesting place. They had this group of guys who founded the company, um, the elite guys, right. Uh, the young bucks and Cody and, and Omega. Those contracts are coming up soon, by the way, which are important. Sure. And so you have that group and then you have this group of like younger guys who they're sort of building as their next group of talent, talent guys, you know, Dante Martin and uh, Darby Allen and MJF and all those guys. And then you have like this group of sort of M- WWE import guys who came in later, right? I mean, I, obviously Punk is long removed from his WWE period, but Punk and Danielson and, Bay- and uh, you know, Adam Cole and and then even guys like, you know, Tony Nese and lower car guys 2.0. And at some point you want to have a balance of all three of those groups. And if you just, you have a, if you just sign every cool person that the WWE releases, eventually that barrel starts getting a little full. Right. And I, it, I think, I think the, that barrel is even starting to get a little full now because last night, you know, winter is coming takes place. And at the end of the show, you know, Bray Wyatt's trending because he doesn't show up and you don't want to become that company. That's only cool because we're like, well, who's going to make the jump next? You know what I'm saying? Like eventually you got to really just hone in with what you got right there. And, uh, and, and you could see it, man. There's a, there's as much as Kevin Owens slash Kevin Steen would probably fit right in there. I don't think they lose anything from not getting him right now. We can pivot into a ring of honor discussion here because I, I think we, I think we all have, we, we all probably saw Kevin Steen live at Ring of Honor shows at some point in the past. Uh, there, there was something during his peak, his feud with, I mean, you could define his peak a lot of different ways, but his kind of solo peak feuding with Jim Cornette, all that, you know, the, 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 the latter generico matches. He was their big star or, you know, one of their biggest stars, but certainly positioned as like the top guy at, at, at times. And, even so, and even though, you know, there was a whole thing about Cornette not thinking he looked like a main eventer and that sort of being the gimmick and also the reality and blah, blah, blah. It does seem like the moment that he walked out and not in NXT, he did great too, whatever. But the moment that he walked out and challenged John Cena, you could just feel the thing. It's like, oh, he fits on this. He fits in this ring. He fits in this production. He doesn't, you know, he just, this is, this is. This is what we, you know, where Kevin Owens belongs. And weirdly, it's like, there's some guys in NXT that we would say, 
he's a raw, he, he's a main roster guy. He's never going to get over there, you know, or he's not going to, it's, it's not, it's apples and oranges, but when he shows up at, you know, on Monday Night Raw, it's going to, it's a different vibe. Kevin Owens is like that from even as big of a star as he was in Ring of Honor and all, all over the Indies, as big as a star or success he was, as he was in NXT. He's a WWE main roster guy. Like he's got, he's a bigger star under the spotlight than he is elsewhere. And you don't, you can't say that about every single person, especially some of the dudes who've gone to AEW. They send him to go give uh, Logan Paul a Stone Cold Stunner and throw Machine Gun Kelly off a stage. I think they trust him. I think he's he's as big a star as, as you're going to get over there. Even if, you know, most people's definition of a star is, well, now he's got to become champion and now he's got to have a long reign. Like, no, like that's not... That's not usually the case most of the time. A lot of guys can be very valuable in their role and not necessarily have to be at the very main top of the card. And I think even the more I think about it, the, the you know, a lot of these guys that we love that have left AEW in a way has raised Kevin Owens stock. And maybe he doesn't get a reported $4 million deal if Brian's still there and like Cole's still there and like all these guys are still there. Who knows? Maybe. Oh, I mean, if Vince is bidding against, uh, if Vince is bidding (laughs) against impact, I don't know if he gets $4 million, right? Like if if Vince is beginning to go and go back and do the battle of Los Angeles, if you don't sign this contract, I I think there's, I think without a doubt, but that's the beauty. That's the beauty of AEW though right like because because that company is doing well and it's healthy it gives an opportunity for a guy like Kevin Owens to be even in the discussion of contract negotiations and contract deals and like these things are interesting to us now and seeing like you know who's who's you know who's getting paid what whose contract is up when who's going where because before it was it was WWE or okay, make it around the Indies and hopefully you'll come back and you'll be a bigger deal then. Like now it's like, no, you can go somewhere else and really be good. I mean, I, I, I sort of the not grew up, I was a little older then, but you know, during your WCW versus WWF Monday Night Wars period, this was a thing that would happen too, right? Where all of a sudden oh, Stevie sure. Ray would be making $475,000 a year because they were just throwing around these huge buddy contracts. Um, so it's good for the, I mean, the wrestlers that you can get back into that a little bit where people can actually say, Hey, I've got, you, I've got some negotiating leverage and I could go to AEW or I could stay here. I mean, it's interesting that you had all those releases with that being an issue. Cause I think in some ways, uh, you know, it's, it's, there's an interesting dichotomy with Owens getting this, the bag and a lot of people who you would think would be valuable to the WWE and to AEW just getting, you know, straight up released, right? It's true. Mm. It's true. I mean, it seems to me, and I haven't heard this from anybody on the inside or anything, but it seems to me like they're just deciding, they're, they're picking their shots, right? It's like, instead of instead of spreading this money around, we're just going to like point at the people that we think can be main event, the headliners in WWE, and we're going to pay them that way, you know? And then, and and that's, I don't know, that's going to be a measure, you know, end up being a success. But Kevin Owens, is getting paid in a <laughs> successful way for him. There's also this issue that's kind of lingering in the background. And again, I don't have the details on this, but reports came out that they're not paying. Well, the the report was the, the headline of the report that I read was just it's contradictory, but it was about wrestlers not having downsides anymore. They do have downsides, but it's like, they're not, they don't really have upsides in the same way they used to is that they've taken away. Obviously a lot of the house show bonuses, pay-per-view bonuses have been gone for a long time. And they've been trying to figure out how to remonetize that, well, in fits and starts, but also there's a report that they're not getting merch bonuses anymore or merch, you know, uh, royalties. And who know? I don't know if that's true, but regardless, the meat of the story is that base salaries are going up 
And so two, two, three million dollars a year is a shit ton of money, no matter how you count it. But that might have been what a one, one, five, you know, contract looked like in a previous era. Right. I mean, just it's a shitload of money, sort of. But if you think about how much, you know, the 11th guy on the Orlando Magic makes. Uh, right. I mean, you know, yeah. like uh, when you compare it to that, or you compare I'm about it to say, I'm like, you know, he's not making Alec Burke's money, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> exactly. like $30 million, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you, yeah. If you look at how much, you know, the Khan family is paying the former Jacksonville Jaguars coach every year now. Yeah. There I mean, you go. It's a lot of money. Uh, <laughs> the, no, I'm just kidding. They might not be paying him. He kicked a dude, but, but, uh, <laughs> But anyway, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's I cool. Mean, Tony's got to be thinking, look, we're paying you all this money. At least come out on, on Rampage or something like that <laughs> and, <laughs> and kick somebody, right? Can you, it feels oh, like, my you gosh. Know, if, we're, if we're giving you the cash here, but at least come out and, you know. Uh, Listen, if, if, Tony, if Tony had any stroke right now, that would be his last his last so moment as as uh, Jacksonville Jaguars head coach, just come out and kick a kick a kicker in the leg, and then we'll we'll send you on your way. Then we'll give you half of the salary, will you? I remember like TNA did a did a uh, match between I think Rupert from Survivor and somebody else from Survivor. <laughs> this is a long time ago. Like they actually got some a couple like a couple people from. So I think maybe Johnny Fairplay with it. Yeah, they had Johnny Fairplay around for a while. That's, but I think that's, they had <laughs> I think they had Rupert too. And they had like a did like a match on a pay per view with some people from Survivor. And it feels like Urban Meyer versus whatever that kicker. Put them in a tag. Mm. The kicker oh, and yeah. somebody against Urban Meyer and somebody. So you have the wrestlers can do the majority of the work. I mean, it's something, <laughs> right? I mean, you got to fill you got to fill three hours of TV a week. <laughs> you, you know, you know, I support it. Um, you know, it's one one thing. Here's a little AEW tidbit to throw into this Kevin Owens conversation. Then we'll talk Ring of Honor. It was just reported that AEW's officially signed uh, Brody King, which is uh, not shocking. He obviously has a history. I think they talked about signing before. Before he signed his last deal with the Ring of Honor, King was a pretty major free agent so far as these things go. Um, but he's currently the PWG Tag Team Champions with one Malachi Black. If you see the picture of them, I mean, you can try to track down that match, go buy the DVD. But like, if you just see the picture of them standing in the ring with the belts, that's kind of all you need to know. I mean, he's a great, great worker. I'm not taking that away or anything, but it's just you see them and you're like, oh, yeah, this is the most over thing that, that, that AEW could possibly get their hands on. And it's funny because if you've seen him in Ring of Honor, especially, you know that Brody King is a hell of a worker and a hell of an asset. And he like... He just he he looks the part. He is the part. I mean, he's just a he's just a big fighter, and it's a lot of and he's and he's very very good at being a pro wrestler. And he's not comparable to Kevin Owens in a lot of ways, unless you just want to talk big beardy guys. But um, but it was funny because when you're talking about how much you know value Kevin Owens has to ring of I mean has to AEW or potentially whatever, I'm just like yeah, what they got Brody King. Like it's, I don't, it's not, it's apples and oranges, but it's also like, I think, I, you know, I think they're making their investments in very particular ways. So, uh, I don't know. What do you, do you have, do you have Brody King thoughts, Phil? I like Brody King. I think it's a good point. I think maybe you can get 80% of Kevin Owens with Brody King for a lot less money. <laughs> it's like, if you're looking at the salary cap is like, yeah. get, how much, how much value do I need to, you know, can I get, can I get Dr. Martin Rosen's production with a smaller contract? <laughs> I'm on the ringer now, guys. I got to do this. Shit. <laughs> Look, uh, um, so yeah, I can see that. I, I think Brody King's a good wrestler. I like him. I, you know, I, I think I always want him to be 10% 
meaner than he is. Yeah. Which is always, yeah. which is always this is the thing with big guys. I think uh, now a little bit. I, I use this analogy in my book when I talked about the headhunters. You guys remember the headhunters? Like the yeah, first time you saw the headhunters, you saw a fat guy, guy, guy looked like Abdul the Butcher doing a moonsault. Like that's the craziest fucking thing I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> um, and now it's like, if you see, now every fat guy does a moonsault. Like every fat guy does a moonsault. And at some point you're just like, hey, just punch a guy in the face or throw a clothesline. <laughs> I don't necessarily need to see every single 350 pound guy do a, do a handspring elbow. Um, and it was a little bit like, you know, I, I <laughs> The analogy I used the book was like, if, you know, if you saw um, Patrick Ewing start shooting three pointers in 1985, you would blow your, you would blow your mind. And now you just want Carl Anthony Towns. It's like, look, take the guy in the post. Get in the a post. Bit. Yeah, go into the post a little bit. You don't need to shoot every shot. Does not need to be a three cat? So in a little bit of, uh, uh, that's sort of like Bernie King thing. It's like this It's like, in some ways I think he's really good. I, I would like to see him shift a little more into the post. Yo, this is actually a really pertinent conversation because it really is sort of, you know, the player empowerment era of basketball and of wrestling. We're talking about how free agency is working and how, like, you know, they have bargaining power and all this kind of stuff. The thing that makes Brody King different than even, like, Terry Bam Bam Gordy or something like that is that Gordy rolled in as big of a star as he was, especially in Japan. He rolled in and he had a role to play, right? I mean, he knew that there were going to be expectations of him going in. Brody King, obviously, is going to be booked. He has angle. I mean, he's going to have a role to play in a very literal sense. But, like, thus far in his career, his his goal has been to get Brody King over. You know, it's, a bit, it's like, like, can Brody King, the singles performer, eventually be the main eventer in whatever company, right? So, like, it's not really in his vested interest. It's not really in his interest to be, like like a one trick pony or even a three trick pony, you know, like it's, it's in his interest to be a guy that can do every single freaking move. And if he's a wild Samoan, then that sort of puts a ceiling on him. You know, I mean, even if it's a really high ceiling, it's still lower than main eventing all out against Kenny Omega, you know, I mean, it's so, and, and I think that that's gotta be in all of these big guys' minds, right? I mean, Keith Lee is sort of like, like a one-off, like, you know, you can look, you can watch him and just be like, well, of course he's doing what he should probably be doing. But even though even he might not be doing it in an earlier era, but I agree. I, but I do think that like, that these dudes are all sort of maybe not as monstrous as they should be and maybe doing more moves than, I mean, more high flying moves or whatever than, than you might choose if you had complete control over them because they got power to do it. Yeah. It's a good point. Like PWG does not reward, uh, um, uh, you know, showing restraint, right? That as if to get over that promotion, <laughs> it's not like, man, that guy, yeah, that guy did exactly the 10 things he should have done in this match and no more. I mean, that's a promotion that it was built in many ways on excess. Uh, and so you, that's how, you know, it makes sense that you're going to, if you can do the thing, you're going to do it. I mean, I, I think in some ways, you know, it takes away a little bit from the guy who's 220 pounds and does it a little higher. If a guy who's 360 pounds, he jumps a little lower. I think in some ways, yeah. you know, you're, you, you, you take some shine off the guys. What is it? Is there anything that is solely in the realm that is like owned by little guys? Like, is there, is there any, like, well, I mean, you know, it's not super kicks no more. Like everybody oh, does super kicks. Wait, just for, this might be a safety issue, but I, mm. there's no big guys that are doing like the double stomp off the ropes, right? They're like the chest stomp. <laughs> <laughs> like the like that might be that might be the last bastion of the little dudes because no one's no one's taking no one's taking a Brody King double stomp. I only no one's signing up for that. No, 
I, I, I try to think of who's the biggest guy who doesn't double stuff. That's a good question. I think Finn, question. Bauer, Finn, Finn Bauer like is the biggest guy. Sounds <laughs> like something I should be able to answer, too. It feels yeah. like the reason you have me on this podcast is for me to point out the guy from the 70s who was 320 pounds and did double stop, but I'm coming up a little blank here. Uh, I mean, Kevin Sullivan used to do the, not the top rope one, but no. back in the day, Kevin Sullivan, who was a pretty big, thick guy, used to stomp the crap out of people in like those, uh, in those mm-hmm. WCW jobber matches where he would just like absolutely impale somebody's stomach with a double stop. Um, but I'm trying to think he might be the biggest guy. Kevin's yeah. He was definitely like he was definitely like five foot one and three fifty pure muscle at some point. I mean, he was just like the most jack the most like the just the, the, the heaviest, like thickest dude you could possibly. I mean, be. does Ray Phoenix count? Like Ray Phoenix is like a, a thick nah, dude, but no, he's like Ray small. Phoenix is small. I, no, no, it's he's yeah. small, but like he's not like you know, wafy like Finn Balor is. Like, no, no, Finn's no, kind of like it's like a ballerina coming off the top rope and he you're, does you're wrong. You're wrong. Pinta is a Pinta is a deceptive point of comparison because Pinta is actually kind of small. Like but he's built like really? a, he's built like gotcha, a full size gotcha. dude. All luchadors are much smaller than you think they are. Yeah, I, I were I did I did color commentary on a a show in Mexico in like the late nineties, and I was bigger than every single person on that show by a significant amount. Uh, and like like a Hio de Santo, who's one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, is like five foot three, but you just never know <laughs> it because he like portrays himself so he has such an yeah. aura of largeness. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Phoenix Andra- is Andrade's there too. Like Andrade looks massive on TV. Like mm-hmm. I stood next to him. I was like, wow, this guy's like five nine, five ten, maybe. You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, like, Eddie Guerrero was I'm only a like big five. dude, but you know, Eddie Guerrero was only like five five or five six too. It was something about the. Wow. Uh, so yeah, I, I, all luchadors are four inches shorter and one hundred twenty five pounds lighter than you think they are. <laughs> is, the, is the rule doesn't matter because they're like you know amazing performers, but just you know there you go. Ever I ever stand next to Negro Costas, you're like, oh, this guy is five foot five. It's all about the illusion, right. guys. It's all about the illusion. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by NetSuite by Oracle. As your business grows, you might start seeing some lag. There's too much work for your team, too many different processes, and it takes forever to close the books. If this sounds like you, you should know these three numbers, 37,000, 25, and 1. 37,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. It's a cloud financial system that can help streamline accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25, that's how many years NetSuite has been helping businesses do more with less. And 1, because your one-of-a-kind business deserves a customized solution for your KPIs. It's like when you come here for this podcast or when you check out your favorite website to gather all the info you need to make better decisions for your fantasy leagues. Well, NetSuite does that for your business and then some. It's one efficient system, one source of truth with everything you need to grow. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash ringer. That is netsuite.com slash ringer. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just... Once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. 
ABC Pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. All right, we're going to talk. We got to talk about this Brian Hangman match. Uh, uh, I should say Danielson Hangman. I was saying Brian just to be safe. Danielson Hangman match uh, and a couple other things from Winter is Coming. But first, let's talk about the end of Ring of Honor. This past weekend, um, we had the final, potentially the final, final battle in Ring Ring of Honor history. Uh, Everybody knows ROH. Everybody knows the company. We've been talking about them uh, sideways for the the first portion of this podcast. there have been times where Ring of Honor was like probably my favorite promotion. Uh, th- certainly, you know, going to see them live at the Hammerstein in New York when I was just sort of like, you know, getting my sea legs in like the wider world of pro wrestling when I was writing about it and stuff was sort of breathtaking. All the people over there, Joe Coff, everybody else are just like incredibly nice people and, and smart and, and um, I mean, it's undeniable. Just look at all the talent that's come through there that's now main eventing in other, in, you know, bigger places. It's 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 pretty significant. You know, they, they are owned by Sinclair Broadcasting. There's a lot of backstory there. I think that, that uh, uh, for better or worse, they were just sort of happy with the status quo and so didn't really make a big move to get bigger when other people were and didn't make, you know, some of the maybe moves they could have made to to stay a little bit more relevant. They did stay relevant in the sense that like through the entire pandemic, they kept everybody employed and, and paid them, which is, you know, pretty a pretty stunning thing to do in comparison to everybody else. But the fallout, I don't know, directly or indirectly, is that now it's the end of 2021, they're closing up shop, and they're saying they're going to come back in some form, maybe in April, but the, the, the you know, the word is that they're just going to be using independent, you know, they're not going to have anybody under long-term contract, and that's sort of just going to be a super indie, you know, you know, or best of the indie sort of situation, who knows? As, as Final Battle came to its close, it did seem like, both through rumor and through you know, impression that this might actually be just the end of Ring of Honor. Who knows? But um, if it is, Phil, what are we going to remember Ring of Honor for? Well, I think in some ways it presaged professional wrestling the way it is now. I think it's, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think it was the, it was designed as a business because Rob Feinstein, who was a tape dealer, had a tape, selling business his main product was ecw fan cams like that was the thing that he was built his business on was he's the guy who's going to go to every ecw show tape it and sell it so you could you could watch the stuff on tv but if you also wanted to see a sabu match from boston he'd sell the tape and he'd sell stuff from japan and there was always some legality issues about that uh and then he didn't have ecw things anymore so he kind of created his own promotion with the idea of i'm going to replace these ecw fan cams with my own sort of stuff so it was really the first time you saw wrestling designed as a this is a buy this tape for this great match in the what not buy this not watch the show because you want to see whether rick flair is going to win lose his title or whether uh or whether um, a Hulk Hogan is going to get his revenge on Paul Orndorff. But this is these two great wrestlers having a great match. And I think that's kind of what wrestling has turned into in a lot of ways, is fans are watching it for performance. The promotion is booking. A lot of these promotions are booking it as a performance thing. So I think that was the start of wrestling the way it is now. I think it was a big, a big sea change. Whether that sea change is good or bad, I think that's a, a different discussion. Uh, but I think that you have to give them 
credit uh, for sort of creating that. And, you know, really being the, the I think the fact that Brian Danielson became such a, 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 a star in Ring of Honor and CM Punk became such a star in Ring of Honor changed a little bit about the way uh, about who was going to be looked at as stars in professional wrestling. I, I mean, we were talking about Owens earlier as a guy who grew up in eighties WWF. The guy, the idea that a, uh, when I first saw Kevin Owens that he would be a big star in the WWF seemed insane. Right? What are you kidding me? That guy? You even Scott Casey in nineteen eighties WWF was jacked up on steroids so he could barely move his arms. So you're telling me Kevin Owens, who's got my physique? Is going to be uh, is going to be a top star in the WWF. He's a better athlete than me, but you know what I'm saying. So I think the Ring of Honor certainly opened the door for guys who look like Danielson, and look like Punk, and look like you know uh, Kevin Owens, and look like you know Sami Zayn to become actual big stars in professional wrestling. In the way that in you know the 80s and 90s, those guys would have been enhancement talents, right? Kevin Owens would have been a mulky. To me, I kind of feel like Ring of Honor uh, as a you know, it's been an offspring for wrestling fans, right? Like with the WWF and, the, and their success, they kind of took a lot of what ECW did and like turned it into the Attitude Era. But like for a lot of folks who, you know, were only growing up on like YouTube links and not really seeing ECW as it grew, like, yeah, there was blood and guts and cursing and beer and all this type of stuff. But there was also like you had Malenko matches, Eddie Guerrero, Jericho, Rey Mysterio, like all these, you know, incredibly highly technical matches that you know you didn't really get to see a lot in in american television and then you know you got a little bit of that in the cruiserweight division in wcw and then once wcw kind of went away and you know wwf was the was the end-all be-all for like most mainstream north american pro wrestling you know ring of honor that 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 lane was open and and they took it and it'll always have like an incredible special like place for me as, as a wrestling fan, because just like you, Dave, that was my first ring of honor was the first promotion I went to that wasn't WWE or WCW or ECW and made me really feel like I found something new and exciting. And Oh my God, why isn't everybody talking about how amazing all these people are like type of wrestling? It was, it is, it is the reason why I can't ever, I know, I know I give I give AEW fans a lot of shit here on, on this show because it's fun too and, it, and it's you know hilarious. But at the same time, like I was definitely that person with the first time I went to a Ring of Honor show. Like the first time I went was uh I think best in the world, I want to say 2014 or 15. And uh Chris Hero, who's who's a lovely human being and 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 was you know a great friend to my, my guy Emilio Sparks. Uh, took us to the show and you know we, we had we, he's a big dude basketball guy I love hoops we would talk hoops all the time he was like you know what you got to come to a show one day we go to the show and this is and mind you this is a guy whose most wrestling knowledge is everything he's ever seen on WWE WCW and ECW going to Hammerstein speaking, Ballroom speaking of you not Chris Hero for the record speaking of me sorry not Chris Hero <laughs> Chris Hero may be the only person who's watched more tapes than I have I mean, <laughs> exactly he definitely but, uh, bought some of my mixtapes back in the day for sure Chris Hero had a ball Hero's the best man and uh, you know he brings us to the show and this is my first time you know, you want to talk about a mind-blowing experience. This is my first time seeing guys like Cesaro, guys like Adam Cole, guys like the Young Bucks, guys like Kevin Steen, like in the right in the midst of that Cornette 
um, you know, uh, uh, feud like Davy Edwards, Davy Richards, and Eddie Edwards like beating the shit out of each other for like forty five minutes in the main event. Sami Zayn slash El Generico winning the TV title and the old seeing the Ole chance for the first time in New York City. My mind was fucking blown. And then you kind of get to go back and kind of you know you, you hear about the Punks, you hear about the Danielsons or whatever, but like it never really registers. So now you get to go back and truly appreciate just how much they shaped a lot of what professional wrestling is now. And um, it's, it's, they've, they've had an incredible run. I'm glad that they got like the send off of whatever they, they're, they're going to turn into in in the near future, because you can't really tell the, the, the history. You can't tell the history of American pro wrestling without ring of honor. And I think that's the best compliment you can give to anybody or, or anything that, you know, uh, goes out and tries to do this this great art that we love to talk about every week. So um, they were great. They were by, great. By the way, since it came up, big, big shout out, big Mass Man Show shout out to friend of the pod, Zach Linder, who's been on the pod a number of times. Zach. Love yeah. Zach. Zach formerly wrote for WWE.com and they kind of had, contra- uh, contrary to popular belief, they kind of had free reign to do whatever they wanted over there. Like nobody was like, like Vince McMahon wasn't like like reading the pitches every week and approving everything that went up on the on the website. And he wrote a piece called the, I'm going to get it wrong, but it but it was called, I, I believe, the ROH influence of uh, in WWE. This is in, dang, I don't even know what year this was, but this would have been early in, in, uh, like Seth Rollins singles singles run probably, and he broke down the whole thing. And like one, of, this is one of the only like big like editorial moments after the piece ran went up. Somebody of great significance made him take Ring of Honor out of the title of the piece. So now if you if you Google it, it's the indie influence how one small wrestling company impacted WWE. But it's a great interviews with like Rollins and Cesaro and uh, Gabe. Yeah, Danielson. Who else? There's some other people in there too. Oh, Colt Cabana's in there too. Um, it, it's 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 a cool piece, but but yeah, it's been a big. It's ROH's influence has been a real thing that people have seen for a long time. I just want to say, just anecdotally, my I believe my very first introduction to Live Ring of Honor wrestling was at what was the little venue at the Hammerstein? Oh, the man is it the Manhattan Center? Manhattan where, Center. Yep. Where mm-hmm. I. You, I got there late, always roll into these matches embarrassingly late, but I got there late. You get off the elevator, like you take this little like elevator up and you walk in, basically like spill out into the ballroom and, <laughs> and the Briscoes are having a brutal like hardcore match. I mean, just like swinging chairs and just various other plunder at whoever they were in the ring with. That was the All Night Express or who, but I was just like trying to get my bearings and I was like, holy crap, they're really just laying it in. Like that's a real chair and it's really brutal and I'm not accustomed to seeing this at such close proximity. And then all of a sudden, it, I, I realized that I'm standing next to one of the Briscoe's wives and it's actually an extended Briscoe family, but she's holding, <laughs> I think it was Jay, whoever whoever had the baby first, but it was like the firstborn Briscoe son was being like held a little baby and the wife was just like having a conversation with whoever next to her. And she's like, those are fake chairs, right? And they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. Totally fake chairs. <laughs> it's just like, and I was like, those are not fake chairs. Oh my God. I've got a Briscoe family story too. Oh my so, God. That's great. Uh, let's push it back. I am at the CZW best of the best tournament. When the Briscoes are like, this is pre art ring of honor, early Briscoes. They had, I, Mark was 17. Maybe Jay was 18. I know Mark was young, was too young because he didn't wrestle on the first ROA show because he was too young to wrestle. He was like 16 or something. Yeah. yeah. So he might have been 16 or something like that. And they're matched up against each other in this tournament. They're doing their, their Mark versus Jay. And they're just absolutely 
killing each other. They're going through tables. They're getting, I mean, CZW is a promotion, again, where you were not, not rewarded with subtlety. This was excess. And I actually was sitting, standing in front of uh, uh, Briscoe's mom, and she was like nervously grabbing my shoulders. Like to steady herself as her kids were like, you know, kids, kids. I mean, these were Briscoe's when they were clean cut teenagers were like dumping each other on their heads and smashing each other in their chairs. And poor mom Briscoe was looked like she was was ghost white watching this. Like, what am I letting my kids do? So, yeah, like I was I'm earlier than you guys. I think I was at their second show. I didn't go to the first show. But, you know, I was somebody who went to a lot of Northeast indie wrestling but pre ring of honor and the differences between that. And you started to see a little more with there's a pro Jersey, all pro wrestling had a lot of those ring of honor guys. CZW were starting to bring in work rate guys like homicide and Loki and Danielson and Chris Daniels pre ring of honor. That's kind of where they got them all from. But like you go back a year or so before ring of honor, like you're, but you go to these Northeast Indie shows and the best you'd hope for was like a stiff axle rotten chop. Like, oh, that's pretty good shot. <laughs> or, or like, or maybe, uh, maybe Sal Sincere would take a nice bump. But you would go to these shows where there would be like nothing you'd possibly want to see outside of, of you know maybe one spot in one match, and then you'd go to something like Ring of Honor, and like even the openers would be doing these moves from Japan that you'd seen on tapes, mm-hmm. and you know obviously not you know these guys weren't Juice and Liger, but they were had that inspired things. You're like, man, this is. Not what I'm used to seeing at all. Oh, bro, bro. The dark match that I went to the first show was Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly versus the Young Bucks. Like, imagine. And, and, that, and that's the dark match. You know what I mean? So it's just like they they no subtlety. Exactly. You, you hit the nail right in the head with that, man. It was mind blowing. I was at Jay Lethal's first ever match in JAPW. He's against a guy named Rainchild, who I don't believe Rainchild ever went on to do anything more than a handful of JAPW shows around the side. But I was at Jay Lethal's first ever match. And you know what? Jay Lethal's first ever match, that guy was doing a lot of stuff and looked pretty good. <laughs> and you know, like you just not, you don't you expect to see a, a 17, 18 year old his first match, you know, doing like suplexes and tobes and stuff like that. And, you know, and, and in some ways, I think indie wrestling, sometimes guys would learn to run before they learn to walk. Uh, a little bit, <laughs> you get it's like, oh, you gotta first, you should really know how to throw a good miss clothesline before you learn how to throw a released dragon suplex. Yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was definitely a different approach, and it definitely was a, a pretty uh, eye opening thing as a fan to watch this. You're like, it is. I, I want one of those very early on Ring of Honor shows. I saw, uh, I saw Colin O'Reilly against, um, Cedric Alexander and Caprice Coleman. And and that was a total... I, I was just like, who are these jobbers? Like, whatever, when they came out. But I think that that's... Ring of Honor did have that sort of, like, young lion-esque system where they would put dudes in tag teams and just say, like, let them learn on the fly, sort of. You know? I mean, they they weren't ready to... They weren't quite ready for prime time, and they did need to learn how to do the... You know, they needed to hone their wrist-locking skills probably a little bit more than, than uh, in previous generations at that point. But... They they let people develop and they brought people up. I mean, it's interesting because a lot of the indies we see now, it's like you're used to you think about them as a place where these star these people flourish as stars before they get a chance to be a star somewhere else. But in Ring of Honor, they were coming up from the very bottom. You know, they were able to develop into stars. So many of these guys, um, you know, in the latter days, you had the the elite era and everything else, where it was just sort of like one new main event scene replacing another, but. Um, they were real, they were just an incredible place. I mean, for talent to develop top to bottom. Um, and one of the who, matches I wrote about, uh, in the yeah, piece talk about it 
was CM Punk Raven. And, you know, that's oh. a that's a thing where you could really see CM Punk to turn during that feud, turn into CM Punk, turn into the guy who was going to be a, one of the top stars in professional wrestling for the next 20 years. I mean, he would turn from a guy, you know, who was working uh, IWA Mid-South shows with Ian Rotten uh, to a guy who actually was in there with Raven, who was a pretty big figure in professional wrestling at that point. Um, you know, had been in the WWE and it had obviously been a huge part of ECW and him kind of going toe to toe with him and on the microphone and in the ring and sort of building this com- really compelling feud uh, based around a lot of the things you would see him do later. Right. I mean, he was doing the the whole point of that. The feud was that Raven was a, a guy who had known to have a, a good time with things. And CM Punk's a guy who doesn't do that. And who and he would do these promos about how Raven reminded him of his drunk alcoholic father who used to beat him and used to f- pass out in the shower with an old style. And every time he hits Raven, he's hitting his dad. And really compelling stuff. And you'd see, wow, this guy, this guy's got something that, you know, even his contemporaries were also really great professional wrestlers. They don't have, and it really was a chance to see, okay, you know, this is something that he's going to do at a higher level. Um, and that was a lot of that stuff. I mean, you know, Daniel just did a, an hour long match and he would, he had this whole series with, you know, Austin Aries 20 years ago where they were, they went 90 minutes and the same kind of thing. And he had his chance to really develop. This is how I'm going to work a super long match. And now he's doing it on national television. So uh, last one the, night, one of the really cool things about, that's a great segue. And I'm really sorry that I'm not going to grab onto it. Cause I just want to wrap this ring of honor segment. But, they, but one of the cool things about the piece that you wrote for the ringer, Phil, was that you went through, it was not just like the best work rate matches or the best, you know, whatever it's, it's, it's a sort of sampling of all the different things that ring of honor had to offer over the years. And a lot of the big figures are represented. And so it sort of, you know, takes you through some ring of honor history and pro wrestling history by reading it. All the matches I think are either embedded or linked in there. So you can go back and watch them all. And there's a lot of really cool stuff in there. Given that it's impossible to reduce Ring of Honor to <clears throat> one article, uh, let me make it even harder for you. If you could reduce Ring of Honor to one match, <laughs> if, you had to, if you could only show, if you could only just send one link to somebody and be like, this was a good wrestling company. Well, is it going to be like Kenta versus Joe? Like what? what's the one match? It's probably going to be Kobashi versus Joe, although it's interesting. I guess it depends on who I'm sending it to, because so much of Kobashi versus Joe, what made that special was the history of Kobashi and what he meant to professional wrestling. So if you're trying to send that match to the guy who's never watched a Japanese wrestling tape, maybe that's not it, because I, maybe so much of the what made that match special was I got, I, Kenta Kobashi is Kenta Kobashi. He's in America and he's doing a Kenta Kobashi match. So, um, geez, boy, you really did put me in. Cause my favorite ring of honor match is homicide. Steve Carino, which I wrote about in that, yeah. that live. Oh, and that so is, but that's not representative. That's like, that is, that's, I mean, I wrote my book is on the, the way of the blade under the greatest bloody match of professional wrestling. That's one of them. And that, but that wasn't a work rate match. That was two guys trying to murder each other with uh, barbed wire and, and, and fists. Um, maybe it's punk Joe three. Yeah. I like punk right? Joe cause three. that, cause that's, that, that is, it's more digestible than their first two, which were both hour long matches. And those, and they have the immediate thing of like, wait, you sent me, you sent me a 71 minute video uh, thing for me to watch. I'm, you know, I'm like, I'm like and, but it did have, but it, you know, it is, it is a big main event match with, big stars seeming like big stars and a real like climactic moment. 
Um, and I think there were other matches in ROH that did that, but I think though, though Punk and Joe, I think like the Joe Aries match where Joe finally lost the title is incredible, but Aries for whatever reasons, and we can leave those for another time, never did become much more than what he became in ROH. We're obviously CM Punk's a guy who is a main event, you know, was a main event world champion in the WWE. Transcendent talent. Yeah. And CM the, the, Punk. The, yeah. The, certainly either one of the top two or three guys in AEW now. And whereas Austin Aries was a guy who, you know, did, didn't, didn't get there. So, so if I think they both do similar things and like, here's what they did a world title match with incredible wrestlers performing at a high level. Uh, but I think Punk Joe three would be the one. Yeah, I'm. I have a. I have a very. I have a soft spot in my heart for Ladder War, Scene Generico. But that. Um, I, I was. Li- I was there live for that one. For so that's probably why the, the to see that the whole just rewatching the whole Punk Joe trilogy is is worth your time. I mean, it's really. It's just really, really amazing stuff. And that third match was just sort of breathtaking. So I. I agree with you there. Yeah, I think with Ladder War, it's a similar thing to Homicide Carino, where it's like it's an incredible match, but it isn't what I think they built themselves on wasn't as much guys going through ladders. It was guys doing like yeah. hard professional. You're right. It was the fight. emotional stakes of that match, which isn't an exclusive exclusive property of ring of honor. That relationship, you know, preceded and transcended it. But, um, but yeah, there was the, the ladders were just sort of, you know, window dressing on what was a really, you know, the end of a just incredible story. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York, you want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side-by-side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. We got to move forward here. Let's talk a little bit about AEW winners coming. We had an hour-long a Broadway, as they say in the business, uh, last night between Brian Danielson and champion hangman Adam Page. Kaz, what's your, what, what's your quick takeaway? Man, this is my favorite version of Daniel Bryan I've ever seen. Brian Danielson I've ever seen. <laughs> Sorry, I can't keep on that. Um, he, uh, so again, so I went on Twitter the other day, uh, right before the show, and I, and I just kept trying to convince everybody in my timeline, like, the right move is to kill Adam Page's dreams and just have Brian Danielson just, like, really lean into this being this complete you know, sweetheart of a guy, you know what I mean? But like an absolute like murderous killer inside those rings. And I I hoped it would have been just like a short 15. Once the, once they were kicking it off, I'm like, it would be so badass if it's just a 15 minute just schooling, schooling on Adam Page and he just wins the title. But they go the full hour. Uh, we talked about it uh, before the show. Um, and as much as I, and I love the match, I did think it was, um, I don't know if I put it over Kenny Omega and Dana Bryanson's, um, uh, Brian Danielson's uh, uh, draw, but I, I, it's starting to get to the point where it's like, okay, how many of these are we going to do? You know what I mean? Without having like a decisive finish, right? Like, I, I think uh, what we're obviously setting up here for is the eventual, you know, three way dance with Kenny 
Brian and Paige for the world title, maybe at Revolution, maybe somewhere down the line. Uh, but it, it's just gone to show uh, just such an appreciation that you have for Danielson, right? Paige, obviously awesome star-making moment, incredible, you know, first title defense. But just seeing him and just thinking of the year he's had, this guy headlined WrestleMania this year, right? <laughs> like, he headlined WrestleMania earlier this year to now having, you know, at least, at the very least, two of the best AEW matches in AEW history. You know what I'm saying? Like, just oh, I like that. the Kingston one better than either of them. So I think you got to put really? that in there, too. And yeah, maybe the yeah. Dustin Rhodes one, which was also incredible. <laughs> yeah. So it's he's had more than just those two, I think. He's, he's just been, he's been on such a, I, I can't, I, I want to say since like Bret Hart and, you know, there's not many guys who really, especially about of my older age, just really makes me believe it as much as Brian Danison makes me believe everything he does makes sense. You know what I'm saying? Not so much that it's brutal and, and it is, and as and and as you know, technical as it is, but like if I were to show a stranger a wrestling match and show them why it's entertaining to me. Brian Danielson does the most work of having me explain why certain moves make sense, right? Like why somebody would go in from a from a wrist lock to an arm lock to a to a Fujiwara to you know uh, the, the the cattle mutilation, like all these things just make sense, and nobody works as seamlessly and makes it as believable as him. So in most cases, I did want to say I would want to say it's a cop out and be like, hey, I want this to to have a decisive finish, but I just can't get over how much fun I'm watching Brian Danielson wrestle because you could tell he's having so much fun being that Brian Danielson and being a wrestler. I, I don't, I don't think this is, I don't know. This probably doesn't even add anything to what you just said, but I was just thinking about that the other day that like part of what makes Brian Danielson such a compelling, what would made him such a compelling comedic actor in WWE is that it didn't, the the comedy never detracted from the in ring product, right? It didn't, yep. or, and and it never got it not, never really got in the way of it. You know, I mean, he could do he can do shtick, and and now he can watch him in AEW. I mean, his gimmick is that he's a good wrestler, yeah. But like, I mean, it's he's always he's just bell to bell. It's it's he's always amazing, and there's never a. a a reason in or out of kayfabe that he's that that he's not amazing in the ring. Like even if he even if the the gimmick were that he was selling both legs and both arms, he would still find a way to have a four and a half star match. You know, I mean, like it, like it was. It's he's just he's always good. He's always good. And 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 um, yeah. I mean, I agree. Phil and I were actually texting about how they were going to finish the match before it happened. And I mean, I think my sort of abiding. I mean, the one thing I was sure about was that you know, Hangman's success is meaningful to AEW, meaningful to, obviously, to Tony Khan by by extension. And and I think there's an extent to which he's just sort of the avatar for the company, right? Like, his arc is their arc. And, the, and sort of, I think, even if it had been a good storyline decision to have him lose in 10 minutes to Danielson and have him, you know, get back on the comeback trail or whatever, it would have felt like a little bit of a, of a... I think people just would have seen it as a little, as a sort of, like, we're right. better. We're better off with the WWE person, you know, holding the belt. Where it's more mainstream appeal, bigger name. Like it's a little bit of a giving up, you know. And first of all, AEW doesn't need to do that. If they have a better story to tell, 
they should tell it because they got their TV deal. You know, they're moving to TBS. They got, I mean, they, they have all the, you know, I, I just, I don't think they're in the position to need to throw everything at the wall. And so they shouldn't, you know, they should tell the stories that they want to tell because they've been having success doing it so far. I was surprised by the draw um, just because they, we had just had a draw, but I'm not mad at it, you know? And I don't think that the people that are complaining specifically because there was a, another time limit situation, you know, obviously in, in, in Brian's other match, it, uh, if if this leads to like you said, if this leads to a triple threat, or if this becomes part of the story, um, I, I'm I I have all the confidence in the world that it's going to work. Um, yeah, I, don't, I don't think they can do a third draw with him for a long time. I think that I think it, you're you're whisking him being a guy who can't finish a match if he does a if they do another draw. Uh, I also, but I mean, the real, I mean, I, as a Brian, I'm a Brian Danielson guy, much more than I am an Adam Page uh, guy. So I kind of wanted Danielson to win, but I think it, you really risk him being Ronnie Garvin. If he, if he, if you have this big, huge build to him finally winning the title, and then you have a feud that's mostly him watching Brian Danielson beat up his friends and then having Brian Danielson beat him up. He be, I think you, you kind of really risk him being a guy who doesn't, doesn't have a ton of value after that. If by the, if by, if by the next Ronnie Garvin, you mean the first wrestler to just totally per- break my heart and perplex me as to why nothing, <laughs> he never amounted to anything, then yeah, I could, I could totally see that. But uh, Ronnie Garvin was pretty old by the time he won the world title. So, you know, it's like, I want to, I don't know if we certainly, I don't think you want me to turn this podcast into a Ronnie Garvin retrospective, but he had like a, like, a very long successful career before winning the NWA title. That kind of was, you know, out of wrestling pretty soon after that. I don't think Adam Page would be uh, out of wrestling, but I'm saying, I, I think as a useful character, if he loses, especially decisively quickly, I think it's, t- it makes it tough to have him be a meaningful part of that promotion for a while. It, it, it's hard to rehab a guy. I don't think it's going to lead to a triple threat. I don't think Tony Khan would do a triple threat for a world title. I think he's a pretty, uh, you know, f- a pretty traditionalist in that way. And I, I think it's, especially because I don't know how long Omega is going to be out for, but I think it's a while. And I think it's much more likely what you're going to, I think Danielson, I, if I had to predict, I say that I think he wins it at some point, but they're going to do more than one match. Even though, again, that hasn't, really been an AEW booking thing. They don't really run a lot of rematches. They usually just build to a match and then they move on to a different thing. Uh, yeah. I mean, I was t- really f- frustrated that they didn't keep running Punk Kingston because that was my favorite thing in wrestling in a really long fire. time. And I was like, <laughs> oh man, you're not going to, you're not, I don't get a rematch of that. Eddie's got to work is <laughs> working 2.0. And uh, so, I, but, but that was been their, been their sort of MO is don't do those. Yeah, uh, no, but I think they're that, obviously going to do one now, and I think maybe that's when Danielson wins uh, is in the second one. But I think pay, pay, uh, Adam Page is better off having done the hour draw rather than losing on his first title. Yeah, my only thing, my only complaint about the match, and again, if they make it, if they build it into the story, then I'll then I take it all back. But like, like we've seen a lot of times where 
you know, somebody goes for one extra move and it ends up being the wrong decision. But when you're going for the bad idea, one extra move, and also there's only two seconds left in the match, <laughs> like there should have been somebody at ringside, some, some in kayfabe friend of his with like, a, you know, a stopwatch. Co- coach like, like, bro, you, you got 30 you, minutes. You got to go for the pin. <laughs> I mean, you just hit him with the, You just hit him with your finisher. Don't do it again. Pin him. There's literally 10 seconds left in the match, you know? And um, like if, if, the, if it's part of the story that like, if no, you watch fine. throughout the match, if you watch throughout the match, Brian Danielson is like really just fucking with Paige for most of it. Like doing the, I have fives and holding the nose and taking his time. All that. Like if he had like a kayfabe coach to tell him like, listen, we took, we took all the analytics and you've wasting at least 30 <laughs> minutes of time doing all these little talks. Like you could have been champ. You could have. Yeah. Like if there was something in there that, 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 that would be really funny uh, because you know, those two, those are two draws. Those are two draws. And, and if I'm looking at this as this is a real sport with the real wins and real losses and real championships, somebody has to pull them to the side. Like, yo, all this cocky shit you're doing. We know you're awesome, Brian. We know you were the man in WWE. You got two draws in your two biggest matches. Stop fucking around and finish these people off, right? Like, maybe maybe that's, that's the story. Maybe he, uh, maybe he's got a, he refocuses himself and 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 says that I gotta I gotta move faster and finish people off. That's an interesting story. Maybe he gets a coach. They like using coaches, right? They've got coaches yeah. all over this promotion: Hard and Tully and Jake Roberts. I don't know if Jake Roberts is still there and. I don't know who would be your maybe Backlund. What's Backlund doing these days? <laughs> Backlund make a pretty great like Brian. call Angle up, call Guys, Kurt Angle up. I mean, G- Gene LaBelle. Gene LaBelle is still alive. I just want to point that oh, out. We get, there you go. <laughs> oh, just Gene LaBelle would be incredible. <laughs> that, that's a great idea. Just like I don't know how old. alive, but he is still alive. Um, yeah. That would be a perfect Daniel Bryan thing. It'd be like when Jose Lothario came out, and I had no idea who this guy was <laughs> as a kid. I'm like, I'm just like, like, who is this guy? <laughs> Um, I, I feel like this is my like role. Like a Sean Mexican? Is that his Mexican dad? Like, what happened? I feel like this is my role uh, on this. Guys, you know who is an awesome professional wrestler? Jose Lothario. <laughs> yeah, oh, you guys need me to drop? Hey, David, can I pitch a 10 greatest Jose Lothario matches? Call for the rear. That's a, that was absolutely awesome. Like Jose Lothario. Like, like, I'll make the I'll make the troll uh, hot take argument. Jose Lothario better wrestler than Shawn Michaels. <laughs> oh, uh, wow. save that for a different day. Okay. You, you can definitely write that. Um, is there? <laughs> listen, I mean, winner. Is anything else from winner is coming? Oh, the Sheeta Deep match was fire too. I mean, obviously everything is going to be overshadowed in conversation by an hour long draw, you know, for the title or whatever. But those two have like insane chemistry. That whole ending sequence was just was really, really nice work. So make sure that that's there. There's also this sort of like lingering, when I was like checking the results today, there's this sort of lingering like static in the air about this promised announcement that's never going to happen. And it seems like there's a couple of times where it seemed like that Tony Khan was about to announce the heart, the Owen tournament or whatever, and it didn't come through. I don't know what's going on there. I have a hard time getting too worked up about it, but a lot of people were talking about that today. Um, well, there was a big Canadian free agent who uh, might have been a might have been a nice first Owen mm. Cup champion who didn't end, who ended up not uh, not being available, right? So maybe maybe they're they're shifting gears here. I guess you know that, got, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah, they've got some Canadians on the uh, on the 
And, you know, Montreal is different than Calgary. So maybe, the, maybe that would have been a, maybe that would have been a, maybe he wouldn't have been an appropriate Owen champion. You know, it's like, the, I don't know whether there's a Rougeau's family versus Hart family <laughs> inter-Canadian feud or something like that. I'm not uh, sure that, I'm not sure that KO is fighting on, on the behalf of the Rougeaux at any, at any, at any point at the, now. He had a pretty bad experience with them, right? <laughs> I, he was a Jacques Rougeau trainee. That's who trained him to provide fresh wrestling. No, I know, but Jacques didn't he Rougeau? hate that? I think I think he's one of the the ninety nine percent of Rougeau trainees that felt abused and abused by the time he was done with that system. <laughs> oh, God. Um, fair, fair point. I think that is accurate. I think the story was that he had. I think if I remember correctly, he Rougeau would only let his wrestlers wrestle on Rougeau shows, and yeah. they would all have all their matches scripted out by Rougeau. Like he would script out every move. So like Owen saw IWS, which was the dirtbag uh, Montreal bar indie that uh, El Generico came from and saw, went to one of those shows. It was like, oh, I could be wrestling like this. <laughs> Let me go do that. And then left Jacques Rougeau. And that's how that whole thing started. I think he saw was there's a El Generico match that you can see Kevin Steen in the audience of. Oh, really? Like, oh, shit. I can't believe he did all this crazy stuff. And the story was he saw that and then like, and then, you know, during a Rougeau promotion hiatus, got to work a couple of IWS shows and then never came back to Jacques <laughs> Rougeau because he decided like what we talked about, you know, they were definitely the kind of place where you were allowed to do your wildest, craziest ideas uh, for sure. Um, well, I guess that brings us full circle. Kevin Owens not uh, did not appear on Winter Is Coming last night, if that was anybody's theory, and certainly um, uh, will be appearing much more in WWE unless it's the greatest work of all time. Who knows? Um, any anything's up for grabs now. Any any closing thoughts as we get out of here? Any any no? Oh, we we didn't talk about SmackDown actually. SmackDown because it's it's been almost a week now as we talk about this. Um, but Kevin Owens' uh, longtime dance partner Sami Zayn is really doing some fun stuff. Oh, not him alone, obviously. Paul Heyman, uh, Brock Lesnar. There's just a lot of cool stuff going on in SmackDown. Kaz, do you want to take this one? Yeah, I just wanted to just give some flowers to to comic Brock. Right, like this is the most we've heard him talk, and maybe. I don't know, 15 years when he like first was about to leave the company and he was uh, going up against Goldberg. But like, hopefully, I don't know if this is just a two week thing, but like Brock Lesnar and Sami Zayn being like a weird Canadian odd couple was something I was really looking forward to <laughs> and hope, hoping we can get more of. Um, I think, uh, you know, Brock Lesnar is engaged and you can kind of tell when he when he's having fun with something that, uh, you know, he does some of his best stuff. And the fact that he's been able to, like, really kind of carry SmackDown the past two weeks without wrestling that much. I mean, yeah, he'll, he'll do a couple of fives here and there. But just really by his 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 his, his mic work. I think that's a tremendous credit to Sami Zayn and, uh, you know, even the stick with Paul Heyman saying like, I must be on an edible and stuff like that. Like it, it only bodes to show what we kind of talked about in the beginning of this episode where guys that we loved seeing if, whether it's ring of honor, whether it's in the Indies, whether it's wherever it is, I'm glad that they're staying in this sort of, uh, pro wrestling as well. I'm glad that AEW's 
um, mission statement isn't we're going to take all these guys that we love from uh, from from PWG and Ring of Honor and all these guys and make this super duper pure work rate show. I'm glad that a guy like Sammy saying who we all know can wrestle circles around anybody out there can go out there on Fox at 8 p.m. and legitimately get some laughs out of people with with Brock Lesnar of all folks. So if Kevin Owens resigning. And Sami Zayn being in the in the A storyline of the WWE right now with Brock Lesnar, that's only could be a good sign for the future. That could only be a good sign for people that, you know, uh, that we like to see on TV. Like, you know, the whole point of this whole, you know, wrestling war right now is that we like wrestlers and we like to see them on TV doing fun stuff. Right. Like that's that's really all we want. The fact that those guys got those spots and are getting those spots right now should only be seen as good news for folks who are fans of WWE and fans of those wrestlers as well. So I just wanted to point that out and just say how much I'm really, really enjoying that. I, I couldn't be having more fun. I mean, it's it's Sami Zayn makes everything better because he's just an incredible talent on so many in so many different ways. He also makes everything. It also really helps. Uh, uh, you know, a setup like that because like Brock Lesnar looks bigger standing next to Sami Zayn, you know, <laughs> Brock Lesnar and not even just in size, he, Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns, Sami Zayn stands in such stark contrast to him and everything he does with his physicality and his, his, uh, his acting skills, everything else. His Larry Davidness, like yeah. his Larry Davidisms with the, <laughs> yeah, all, he, uh, no one's going to be able to see my, my mannerisms. I'm doing it, but trust me, it's very Larry David. If you guys are listening, <laughs> I mean, it's funny when you think about, we were talking to tie it back a little bit. We we're talking with ROH, you know, Sammy Zane spent his entire career up until the w, never speaking. Mm-hmm. Didn't say yeah. a word for yeah. the first 12 years he was a wrestler. Didn't, didn't even see his face. face. <laughs> Never talked, right? Never to cut promos. I mean, I think the idea of his gimmick was that he didn't speak English, which, you know, in hindsight, maybe a little problematic. We can talk about that some other time. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like, but uh, yeah, so it's the fact that he, he, it turned out, wow, this guy, in addition to being a tremendous professional wrestler, is actually a really, really funny comic presence on TV. He's pretty uh, pretty cool, but you know, I don't think people certainly who were fans of El Generico knew that he had that uh, w- w- had that lane too. I yeah, like most like most great comic minds. Uh, stuff that they did in their earlier career might be frowned upon now, but they have learned to adjust with the times. Right? Yeah. <laughs> really some great stuff. The equivalent of problematic <laughs> tweets. <That> Justice Smith. <laughs> how is what? How is what Generico did problematic when you have like three dudes doing that gimmick in AEW right now? Like it's, it's by the way, I, I, I'm not clued. That's also sort of problematic, right? But, I mean, yeah. <laughs> and by the way, I hope I hope Sammy stays in WWE because, like I said, he's part of the variety show there and he fits in really well and i hope that there's you know bigger and better things for him on smackdown and wwe in general but if he did jump ship if he did go to AEW, i hope his first order of business would be to like get back into generico gear and take out infinito and and fuego jr or whatever and just be like no 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 i am the i am the one and only gringo working the luchador gimmick in this turf right now <laughs> and i'm gonna take it back from you guys so you you know i can sell more shirts um but Multiple yeah, fan- dark elevation, uh, a plestus <laughs> mass versus mass matches. <laughs> Only on dark elevation does this view take place. Um, yeah, th- th- fantastic work by him, and and you know, I just hope that there's a long future with him in WWE too. Uh, Owens just gave an interview where he was just like, "Now the decision was easy. It was a better deal for my family." So you know, good for him for 
making what he said was an easy decision. Um, and kudos for that being easy for him. Um, we got to get out of here. Phil, do you want to say anything on the way out the door? I've got a book. Pl- plug your stuff. Yeah. yeah, let me plug my stuff. So I've got an article on theringer.com, which is a website that I think uh, fans of this podcast are familiar with, on the uh, some of the great matches in Ring of Honor history. And like we mentioned, there are links to all of them. So if this is stuff that you're kind of interested in, but are primarily a WWE or AEW fan, you get a chance to kind of dip your toe into some really great matches in wrestling history. So I think folks are really be, should be excited about that. I've got a book, which is on Amazon.com, which is Way of the Blade, 100 of the Greatest Bloody Matches in Professional Wrestling History. And I talk about some uh, matches that you absolutely have heard of. And I talk about a lot of matches that I guarantee you have not. Uh, and so I think folks are, are have uh, can look at that as a really cool resource. I've got a podcast, Way of the Blade, where I discuss one of those matches with a different guest. And I've had on a bunch of different writers Dave's been on. I've had on uh, Dustin Rhodes and Steve Kern and Tony Khan and a bunch of other uh, famous people that you've heard of and a bunch of people you haven't heard of but are really good on the radio. And I've got a blog called Segunda Caida, which I've been writing about professional wrestling on for 15 years and has all kinds of random cool uh, match reviews and, and, and thoughts on that. So lots of ways to, uh, to follow me and uh, uh, see my stuff. Well, Phil, thank you so much for doing this, man. We'll do it again soon. Kaz, you want to get your plugs in too? You know what it is, man. Say less with Kaz, Loki, and Rosie every Tuesday, uh, right? Wherever you stream podcasts, but specifically on youtube.com slash Kazim. Uh, catch you on the MSG Network after every Knicks home game for MSG PM with myself, Monica McNutt. Uh, Knicks aren't doing that great right now, but we'll be okay. And um, yeah, I think uh, I think that is it. I will be. I will also be on the next episode of WWE Ultimate, um, doing the Ultimate Royal Rumble with Sam Roberts, uh, Matt Camp, and Ryan Popola. Uh, so check all that stuff out. And uh, I'll, I'll, I'll see you guys around. <laughs> uh, you can catch me here. You can catch me on the press box. Uh, we have a, uh, the holidays are coming up. Our schedule is going to be a little bit weird, but I think we're regular for next week. Just, you know, stay tuned. We'll be around as much as we can. We got, you know, holidays to celebrate and little kitties to buy presents for. Thanks, as always, to our babyface production assistant, John Kerma. Uh, happy birthday, Brody Lee. We're thinking about you, John Moxley. We'll see you back here next week, Humanoids. Peace. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York. We want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.